Greetings, Exploration. This is Les Pedroga from AskAPI.org. And you're listening to my old friend, Rob McConnell, on the Exxon Radio Show, heard exclusively around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Welcome back, everyone, and this portion of the action is being brought to you by Douglas James Cottrell. Visit his website at www.douglasjamescottrell.com. He has some super articles there. He's got some books. He also has a new series on the year 2012. That's at www.douglasjamescottrell.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Rob Moyer, and... Um, Dr. Moyer is an educator, scientist, and activist with a proven history of institutional management and marine policy success. Dr. Moyer has been a leader of citizen science and efforts to clean up Salem Sound and Boston Harbor as president of the advocacy organization Salem Sound Harbor Monitors, Salem Sound 2000, and later Save the Harbor, Save the Bay, and through his appointment by, sec- by the Secretary of the Interior to Boston Harbor Islands Partnership. He was formerly curator of the natural history at the Peabody Essex Museum, curator of education at the New England Aquarium, and executive director of the Discovery Museums in Acton, Massachusetts. Dr. Moyer was awarded a Switzer Environmental Fellowship from the Robert and Patricia Switzer Foundation and the James uh, Centornio Award for distinguished performance in marine education by the National Marine Educators Association. He was a Sea Education Association uh, Association's first assistant scientist to work consecutive voyages of the RV Westward. Dr. Moyer has a PhD in environmental studies and a master's of science and teaching from Anatoc New England Graduate School in Keene, New Hampshire and a certificate of study from the Biological Laboratory in Woods Hole. And Dr. Moyer, welcome to the, the X-Zone. Thank you for the fabulous introduction. My goodness. You are a very distinguished person, and we're very happy to have you with us here tonight, sir. Um, your organization is called Ocean River Institute. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about it. Yes, the Ocean River Institute... Uh, takes its name from uh, the work of uh, Rachel Carson, who wrote about the ocean a lot and inspired us a lot. And at the end of one of her books, she says it, 
that in the end it's the ocean river that flows on forever and ever. And to me it's talking about there being a system of not just oceans, but oceans connected to rivers, connected to watershed. And uh, we help the people who are living closest to the natural resources, the oceans, the rivers, the shores, and uh, help them to be guardians of uh, the environment. And uh, for that, we take um, Achilles had a shield mm -hmm. that Homer talks about. And Homer said that the, uh, on the shield was wrought the uh, oceanus, the ocean river. So it, it's a kind of a, a symbol of, of standing protection. And the Ocean River Institute is not wedded to one location. Instead, we wait to assist groups that have need, and we, we step in and help them, give them a credit, and then pull back and, and help out somewhere else. Dr. Moyer, you and I have to take a two-minute commercial break, sir. We will be right back. Uh, Dr. Robert Moyer is our special guest, www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. Dot org. one 877 is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My name is Rob McConnell, and this is the Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network. If you'd like to give us a call, once again, our toll-free number is one 877 toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. Once again, at one 877 if you're, uh, if you're interested in sending us an email because you don't want to go offline to make your calls, very simple, exxon at talkstarradio.com. Mind you, you can also send me an MSN message to talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our website's www.exxonradio.com and xzonetv.com. My producer tonight is Melanie, and my chatroom moderator at xzonetv.com is Rob in Scarborough, Ontario. To the both of you, great working with you. And we'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as we continue with Dr. Rob Moyer, whose website is www.oceanriver.org, right here on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Whatever you do, don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, last Friday, we had Brian O'Day on the show. He's the author of High um, Confessions of an International Drug Smuggler. He was on CNN this morning, and he did a fantastic job. And if you'd like to visit Brian's website, it's www.brianoday.com. That's www.brianodea.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Rob Moyer, and... Uh, Dr. Moyer, why hasn't there been more done to save the Earth after nearly three decades of hoopla since the first Earth Day? You know, don't people realize the trouble we're in? 
Yes, people are very aware of the degradations to the environment they see happening all around them. And I think our mistake, and I was part of, I was a high school student during the first Earth Day, first Earth Day and, and uh, back then we were going around saying, think globally, act locally. Mm-hmm. And we tended to um, think a lot about the big picture, and then we ended up being locally stupid or not locally in tune with what needed to be done on the local level. And that's where the changes really have to take place is at the local level. So um, our approach is instead to listen locally, think, and then act locally. And if, if all of us do more of that, um, the whole world will be better. And, and so I think that's exciting that we, you know, there's many things that can be done um, well, what can all we, levels. What can we do on a local level to save the oceans? Well, the, um, of course, your lifestyle choices are important, that you don't uh, throw pollutants or toxins mm-hmm. into, the, into the ocean or, or put things down street drains that are tied to the, to the rivers that are tied to the sea. Um, and also, uh, you know, we, people need to speak up for issues they see going astray. And too often we rely on government to make sure that businesses and large users are doing things appropriately. And the way we cleaned up Boston Harbor was we created a barely restrained, raucous mob of individuals who became the spokesperson for cleaning up the harbor and justified that we had to pay more for our water rates to get the harbor cleaned. So it's important that that people work together. Uh, In the case of Boston Harbor, it was one lawyer who noticed that it was really gross what he was running in. and he, but he called, he knew all the judges in town. He knew he could call a judge, and he knew which judge would act. And so he called that judge, and the judge act. He closed all the hookup of sewer lines for a day until they made him take it off. And so that alone wouldn't have done it, except a newspaper reporter took up the, the cause and publicized it. So it takes a village to save an environment, and uh, it takes good communication. So basically, what we need to do is to have a neighborhood watch system around our water supplies. Absolutely. Because and people, yeah, people like learning what's the heartbeat of the water supply, what's what's natural. Mm-hmm. So when they see things going astray, like a slick on the water, yeah. um, it gets reported. Because actually, the citizens are the eyes, the ears, and the voice for the government, and we have to get involved. Absolutely. Government responds to its constituents. That's right. And if we're being quiet, then those that need to, you know, other people need to damage the, the system, mm-hmm. saying that it costs them money and they shouldn't have to pay that. And so it's important that people speak up and they bring attention to these, you know, these mistakes or these, you know, misbehaviors. Mis, uh, Doctor, what are other communities doing to help save the oceans and the water? Uh, they... The best thing is to just keep your eyes open to what's happening in the community. Uh, on Saturday, I was standing beside the Westfield River, which is a cold stream salmon river in Massachusetts. And uh, the locals are upset because they want to build a biomass generator there that will burn wood, which is better than burning oil. But they want to take a lot of water out of the river to cool the generators. And um, that's fine right now when there's um, a thousand cubic feet per second going down the river, but in the fall, the river is very low, and it's very important that that water not be taken out then. And so the scientists studied it and testified, don't take the water out, and the government 
has issued the permit without listening to the scientific reasons. So the citizens are very active right now because it's time to have the government rethink that permitting process and make the, um, make the power company have available air-cooled systems for their generators during those times they shouldn't take the water. So the key is, is to be opportunistic and, and, and to be aware of what's happening because other groups will act when it's too late, and then it costs a lot of money to take people into court and stuff. What happens, Doctor, if the water is taken out of the river, and how, how will it affect the ecosystem? Good question. Uh, this particular river is cut down through um, metamorphic granite rock mm-hmm. and so forth, and surprisingly, it's not just in a, in a trough of cement. That the, the river bottom is porous, and the river is tied to the aquifer, the groundwater next to it. So when the water is very low water from the ground should seep into the river and cool the river, and the salmon need cold water. Uh, and they also need water at all, so mm-hmm. taking the water out is, is detrimental. Also, they're taking out 880,000 gallons a day. Wow. They evaporate that, and they put in 100,000 gallons back in that has got a, more chemicals mixed in that didn't evaporate, and it's warmer. So this is extremely stressful for salmon, and the state has spent $600 million to help restore salmon to the river, so it would be kind of nice to uh, keep the salmon going there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor, but wouldn't that uh, increase in temperature also cause an increase in the algae in the river? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, this is just during the months of August or... Um, oh, I see. You know, when the water's really low. Right. In the springtime, there, there's, there's a thousand times more water than they're going to pull out, so that, that won't be a, an issue. Uh, but um, that's a good question. I've heard something. Uh, I've heard something about a sea lamp, a lamprey rebellion. Now, aren't sea lampreys the grossest fish in the ocean? They are certainly the grossest <laughs> fish in the ocean. They are so primitive; they don't have real bones in their body. They just kind of have cartilage stuff, and um, and they're parasitic. They they grab onto you know fish and yeah. parasitize them. And in the Great Lakes, they're just the worst thing ever. So. The sea lamprey rebellion um, is talking about indig- sea lampreys that are indigenous to rivers in New England coming in through the Atlantic Ocean, not from Lake Champlain or something. And these salmon, uh, these salmon, I wish, these ugly lampreys, um, the males arrive first, and they start moving rocks around the size of a fist. So two, two lampreys are going to either side of a rock and move it wow. to create kind of a nesting site. And this movement of rocks, the water is shallow and ripply already, and the movement of rocks accelerates the water flowing by, and it gouges out the interstitial stuff that's on the bottom of the river right next to the nest, which makes it better nesting for the bridal shiners and some of the indigenous fish in the river. So the, the moral of the sea lamprey is that they actually leave an environment better off than they find it. And so the sea lamprey rebellion is... The lowly citizens, those of us who have little power in government, standing up to government and saying, listen, government, leave environments better off than you find it. Don't make it worse. How do you see the new administration working for the environment? Well, the, the new administration is, like all administrations, I expect you're, you're asking me about the American administration. Yes, sir, I am. Uh, um, the, you know, politicians, I mean, Governments 
they have to respond to the citizens. Yes. If the citizens aren't speaking up, they're not going to do the work. So in, in the case of Massachusetts, we, there's this big push for alternative energy sources like biomass generating, mm-hmm. and, and they're going to railroad right over some of the environmental protections, uh, just like the oil people used to do. You know, we've got to do it quickly, you know, and so people have to stand up and say, no, you have to do it correctly. And it's the same thing at the federal administration, that um, those, those things that are being spoken out for, um, you have to make it politically appropriate for politicians to hang in there. Are you, are, you, are you seeing positive changes when it comes to the environment, sir, or are you seeing just a lot of spinning wheels? I am seeing lots of positive changes. Uh, of course, the new administration brought in uh, Jane Lachenko to head up NOAA, and um, that, she is just a fantastic biologist. So it's so exciting to hear the, you know, the intelligence coming out of all the different committees. You know, Salazar, the Colorado senator who is, mm-hmm. um, who is interior and stuff, but also, people are standing up. People are noticing, and they're speaking up, and it's, it's a steady progress. And unfortunately, um, it's just that when you aren't looking, someone's going to go in and develop, and um, suddenly you've lost something. So uh, those are disappointments. And we're discovering, like, plastics are, are long-lasting, and they're not very toxic, except they break into tiny little bits. And they're finding in the albatrosses in the middle of the ocean on these far-flung islands that their bellies are full of plastic. And and that's making them more um, susceptible to problems. And this is also an issue with fish, that, you know, little fish eat the plastic, eat by the big fish and so forth. So we keep discovering new things that all goes back to an ethic of, you know, guys, don't put garbage in the ocean. You've got to use plastic, recycle it, and not let it get out there. You know, I find it very funny that, well, it's not funny in the ha-ha sense, but funny that the the manufacturers who are responsible for plastic haven't come up with an alternative um, sealing supplier or, or something else that can bind the product together or protect the product besides plastic, something that is biodegradable. Yeah. You know, because I've heard stories about uh, seagulls that, are, or other birds around the water that get these beer can plastic uh, uh, right. things on their feet, and God, you know, it, it's it's a mess. It's just truly a mess. Dr. Moyer, you and I have to take a commercial break, sir. We'll be back after the news. Dr. Rob Moyer is our special guest, www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver. Dot O-R-G. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with uh, Dr. Rob Moyer as the Exxon continues live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Exxon Nation, don't go away. We'll be right back. Big orange pumpkin, and when you were there, a lot of children out there. Not so much. No, did you get a lot of candy? Yeah, I got a lot of candy. Mommy's eating all the chocolate bars. Well, tell mommy that's your candy, honey. Okay. Tell her. Hi, this is Eric Rawls of Cosmoverse.com, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the X Zone. 
Hi, this is Blade Runner, and you are listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, I'm Laura Sabrin of Cease to Fields Organic Vineyard in Jordan, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, my name is Lady Ashley, the White Witch of Niagara-on-the-Lake, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal talk radio show, The X Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Walking through forests of hungry hearts Let's scoff at the monkeys who live in their dark Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. one 877 is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. You can always send an email to exxon at talkstarradio.com or chat with us online using MSN Messenger. The address is talkstarradio at hotmail.com and our website's www.xzoneradio.com and www.xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Rob Moyer. He's an educator, scientist, and activist with a proven history of institutional management and marine policy success. And, Doctor, welcome back to the Exxon. Thank you. Tell me about 350 parts per million CO2 in our atmosphere. Isn't that less than there is already? Yes. That is less than there is already. So back in, before the Industrial Revolution, or when the Industrial Revolution was beginning, mm-hmm. we were at 250 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. And then with industrialization, the levels went up faster than they would have had there been no industrialization or growth of human activity. And at that time, um, well, scientists figured that, you know, things, things were going upwards mm-hmm. and that, um, boy, when it gets to 500, that's going to be really bad, you know. But it turned out that that was just an easy doubling of the 250 number, and so they would use that for their calculations. And in 1888, a Swedish scientist calculated that if the... Uh, Carbon, the parts per million went up to 350, the uh, temperature, or 360, I forget the exact number, that the temperature of the Earth would increase by two degrees as according to the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, so recently, uh, Jim Hansen is a, is a renowned scientist here in the U.S., and he has been studying the, the planet and has realized, or has, he's pretty sure that 350 is kind of the healthy level for the planet 
it's sort of like our body temperature. And if we get much above 98.6 in our body temperature, mm -hmm. things start going awry. And uh, it's not acceptable just to have a nice, round, easy, you know, 100-degree temperature for us, nor is it acceptable to have a very high parts per million in carbon in the atmosphere. And so the, the ultimate goal should be to um, reduce our emissions to the point that the uh, Earth can return to 350 parts per million. Tell me, Doctor, is global warming real or is it a figment of everybody's imagination? Well, global warming is a tricky term. What there's no doubt that the carbon, um, carbon and other mm -hmm. gases are increasing in the atmosphere. And then there is this, you know, greenhouse theory of how with more gases, the heat will be trapped in the earth more and it will warm up. Uh, so, uh, and as I told you about the scientists, he, in the 1880s, yes. he um, could calculate that, yes, that the temperature of the earth would increase with uh, increasing carbon uh, dioxide in the atmosphere. How is the present environment uh, affecting the ecosystem in harbors and uh, in areas that are close to major uh, centers? I'm sorry, how is the what affecting the ecosystem? For example, pollution. Uh, how, is, how is pollution and the present environment affecting the ecosystems in harbors uh, and in, a, in areas that are close to major centers that enjoy a lakefront or an oceanfront uh, Right. Wow, there are all kinds of, of ways. You know, you mentioned earlier algae possibly blooming with mm -hmm. warmer water. Uh, you know, algaes and things like that bloom with uh, increased nutrients. And so when you get more effluent coming off of city streets, it, it uh, can lead to more detrimental growth of stuff in the harbor. Uh, we have a problem with these long-lasting toxins. The, the latest one is the... Uh, fire retardants that we put on our clothing and stuff and fabrics to keep from burning, uh, those don't break down. And as the clothes are rotting in your landfill, the water is carrying that, that gets through there or however it's somehow fire retardants are increasing in the bodies of animals. Uh, and there's a number of toxins that uh, when animals consume those toxins, they are stored in fat cells and increase in concentration as you move up the food chain. So uh, Dr. Roger Payne has been walking around talking about how that a swordfish is a tenth level predator. Now, there's ten levels of food going down from big swordfish to, little, to medium to little to tiny to little diatoms so that a pound of swordfish is going to require ten to the sixth or a million pounds of diatoms to give you that pound of swordfish on your plate. And... Um, so those diatoms have toxins in them, and our livers have to clean up those toxins. And a million tons of diatoms is like 50,000 dump trucks that we hook our livers to to work through the, the chemicals that are in, concentrated in that, in that pound of swordfish. So the, the trick there is I eat seafood, but I, I recommend eating lower, lower on the food chain uh, to avoid those uh, accumulations. Are there any fish... That are, that are facing extinction because of the environment? Yes. Uh, I was recently working on the Atlantic Ocean fish that uh, the Conservation Law Foundation and other groups have found that this Atlantic wolf fish um, is uh, decreasing in numbers. It's kind of a solitary, ugly fellow that 
hangs around on the bottom of of uh, in caves and on rocky um, bottoms, and he uh, they'll, they'll dart out to crunch on a on a sea urchin or a crab, and mm-hmm. and uh, they're being actively sought by fishermen, and their numbers are just getting too low, and so we're trying to get them listed as an endangered species. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum of fish are menhaden and herring that are schooling fish and they're easy to virtually vacuum up out of the ocean and we have to be careful not to take too many um, again the, the fish right now the fish are worried about um, overfishing but as the carbon increases in the atmosphere it infuses into the ocean and as carbon increases in the ocean waters it makes the water more acidic and as it becomes more acidic it becomes more difficult for the calcium. That's the way we hardwire our bodies. Our neurons are with this metal called calcium. And uh, if the water becomes too acidic, then the neural functions of of um, the more primitive or the larval stages of marine life are going to start breaking down. And so that could be another a loss of species in that direction. You know, I, I was talking to a school teacher a couple of days ago, and. You know, the schools are trying their best to better teach the kids about the environment, what to do, what not to do. and But it, they're saying there's just not enough funding available for all the programs that are necessary in order to get the kids behind all these projects. Now, I, I thought that was a rather lame excuse, personally. Yes, it is. You know, it's like, all right, we're just going to play ostrich, put our head in the sand, and you guys take care of it. Yeah, no, most school curriculum, especially the science curriculum, has wonderful environmental lessons in it. And the, the kids that I meet all over the country are very environmental savvy. If only we could put our decision makers into those classrooms. Oh, boy. You know, and it's so frustrating because the kids, are, they know that intuitively what it's bad to throw plastic in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Never mind how long it takes to degrade. degrade. It's just bad. And, you know, and so they, they come up with these ideas and... We're told to go teach the children, and I prefer teaching politicians myself. You know, I go down and, and teach uh, congressmen and senators in the U.S. government, and um, I get their attention by, you know, working with them on issues that they want to pass, but explaining to them that if you want to be get known as a good candidate, then you have to say you're, you're for ocean conservation, for example. And we did that with a, um, a candidate down in... Um, Florida, and when he got elected, we helped him get elected through the primary, which was the hard part. And then when he got elected, he immediately stood up against Bush, and he was a Republican himself, and said, don't drill off the coast of Florida. And for a freshman politician to stand against their boss, they've got to have outspoken citizens that have made a promise to do so. So it's very important that children write to their politicians. And, you know, many parents, many adults I know, don't become interested in environments until they have children. And then they're joined at the hip, and all of a sudden, you know, so yeah. that was a fun thing about teaching um, in, a, in a discovery museum was that I would get these parents because they'd come with the kids, and you could, you know, get the lessons to closer to the decision makers than the children. Well, what's the old saying? If you want to teach the parents something, let the kids know? That's right. Yeah. Tell me, uh, the speaking about um, drilling, in the, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, there, there are vast number of oil rigs. Isn't that just a disaster waiting to happen? Um, I, I don't know. 
I don't know the technology of, of, of you know, they have, they have oil rigs in the North Sea off Scotland, and they mm -hmm. see a lot worse weather up there than, than in Mississippi, than in the Gulf of Mexico. But then again, I don't know if they build them in the Gulf of Mexico like they build them off the North Sea. Um, the, the rigs also provide, you know, holdfasts and habitat for uh, marine life, and that can, that can be helpful. Uh, they're, they're installing a, I was talking to the, a local diving association, and I was telling them they were putting in this liquid natural gas um, terminal off of coast of, off of Gloucester, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and their eyes all lit up because they wanted to go scuba diving around this thing, and I couldn't tell them that Homeland Security isn't going to like a bunch of amateur you know, scuba divers going around in that, but uh, because of the fish and the wildlife that these um, rigs can bring around them that was attracting the Divers. But there, there seems to be a lot more artificial reefs also being created uh, offshore for divers. Well, the, yeah. I mean, I, I'm the, you're, that's the first time I've heard there are a lot more, um, but that, that, that is what needs to be done. I mean, we have these conservationists like myself saying, you know, don't fish here and don't fish there, but we're not um, putting in, um, art, you know, we're not restoring depleted areas so that in the future the fishermen can go somewhere else. Um, I've actually been contracted by a group of scuba divers in the British Virgin Islands who have an old, an old sailing ship that's 200 feet long, mm -hmm. and they would like to sink it as an artificial reef and as a dive site, and they would do it um, where there aren't corals. It's on a flat bottom, you know, between the coral reefs, and uh, we have to worry about disturbing barrel sponges that are on the bottom, but they seem to have a good sight on it. So that's a wonderful win-win situation where you're, you're storing more habitat for the fish that we all want to eat and catch and stuff, and you're, you know, helping local recreation with diving and stuff. There's a, uh, there was, there's a group of citizens in British Columbia that they, uh, they were able to get their hands on the fuselage of a DC-9, and they sunk it in order to create a, um, a uh, an artificial reef for fish. Reef. Yeah. And I understand the United States Navy has also um, deliberately sank a number of ships in areas that, that have been um, bid for by different states and, and different locations for artificial reefs as well. Oh, really? Yeah. As long as they clean them up before they sink them, that's great. Oh, yeah, there was an entire show on Discovery about it, and they they go left, and, you know, they just go right through the entire ship. It takes months in order to make sure that ship is uh, is is uh, prepared properly to become a reef. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Doctors they also took one of the stadiums in Baltimore, Memorial Stadium, and mm -hmm. they took the cement from that and put it out for... Um, to grow oysters on in Chesapeake Bay, and, and um, so that's kind of cool, too. Dr. Standby, you and I have to take our final break for this hour. Dr. Rob Moyer is our special guest. His website is www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. You know, every, the planet is everyone's home, so everyone is responsible for keeping this planet safe and sound and healthy. Contact your local marine habitat, your, your local government agency, your wildlife and stream management people. See what you can do to help make a difference in the world's eco uh, ecosystems and environment. After all, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. 
When I come back from this uh, four-minute break, I'll continue with Dr. Rob Moyer as the Exxon continues live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this break. One eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My name is Rob McConnell. Doctor Rob um, Mo- uh, Moyer is our special guest, and I understand that you went scuba diving for the first time in March with a cameraman who worked for Cousteau. Yes. What was it like? Um, I I snorkel a lot, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to go scuba diving because it hurts my ears when I go down about thirty feet. I okay. feel the world closing in on me and, and um, yet I was working with this the people in British Virgin Islands to to uh, think this sailing ship is a is an artificial reef mm-hmm. and uh, one of the dive shops said oh come on out and I'll take you down and and he had, so he kind of kidnapped me and put a, a scuba on my back and had me try it out in the swimming pool first and then uh, we marched off the back of a boat and off onto a reef and uh, the trick was that they had a rope hanging down with knots in it every three feet down the rope. And I would go down one knot and with the instructor and have my hand on my nose and blow into my head and equalize the pressure and then go down another knot. And if it started to hurt too much, you'd go up a knot and blow into your nose and stuff. So as long as there's a rope hanging down, I can go scuba diving. And, and uh, it was amazing being down there. Um, and, and the freedom of it, but uh, the, the process is one that one has to learn how to do. Doctor, quickly, what can uh, is is there an ABCs that you can let our listeners know what they can do to uh, make the the waters, uh, both the natural water streams as well as the ocean, better places for one and all? Yes, and it goes for all kinds of the environment, and, and you know, making a our our environment a better place to live, and it. It's really three steps. It's just, you know, listen locally. What what do you see? What are going on? Some of the best um, conservationists are 
sportsmen and hunters that are out there on a regular basis and they see stuff. And so then think about what you're seeing. You know, is it is it significant? Is it a change that that uh, is it not normal? And then um, and then act locally. Don't try to save the whole world, but just specifically to that one thing. You know, is there one pipe that's got stuff coming out of it, or is there one um, an unusual animal lying on the side of the road? You know, what and and uh, I guess communicate it. So I used to be a science teacher, and science was observing, recording communicating and questioning and that's pretty much how we're going to you know make this place a better place to live doctor i want to thank you so much for joining us tonight thank you for all the great work that you're doing and we look forward to the next time when we meet here in the action thank you very much good night sir dr rob moyer his website is www.oceanriver.org that's www.oceanriver.org when we come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, we're going to be joined by Shauna Godfrey. We're going to be talking about uh, International Day of Families in May, National Purposeful Partnering, uh, Parenting in July, and we're also going to be talking about um, children with ADD and a lot more. After all, this is the X Zone on Talkstar. Don't go away.